Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. This evening is just a, a joy to be able to be here in the Lord's house and to obviously study the Word, read the Word, learn from the Word together. And some of us probably don't know Christoph. He's part of our furniture around here, normally in the morning services, and he heads up a, a firm that works in the construction industry with health and safety. He's a, the CEO of quite a significant firm in that industry and really just has a passion for Jesus, for the people of Jesus, for his family. So always cherish that about him, that he's a real family man at heart. And I believe as Christians, we should be family men because Jesus is a family man. And he's got a love for seeing people grow in the faith, for seeing people follow Jesus. And so he's going to be sharing the word with us this evening. So can we just give him a hand as Christoph comes up to share the word with us tonight? Thank you, Phil. Hello, everybody. Always interesting listening to introductions. Is there any chance that we can have some light so that I can see who I'm, who I'm speaking to? It's always interesting listening to one's own introduction and to hear what sort of stands out out of your own life for someone else. And you always sort of hope for the best, sort of the good stuff to make it into the introduction. I, there's this funny story that um, when the exotic game industry was at its boom, my parents had a small little game farm, and they attended uh, like a sales event where they sell these exotic animals. And it was the same one where that big buffalo that Cyril bought, and some experts stood up to give a speech on why the animals are worth what they're worth and so forth. But his introduction was apparently very long, is the way my dad tells the story. I wasn't there, but... And eventually, after what my dad says, it was a five-minute introduction, some farmer at the back just stood up and shouted and says, just give the man the microphone. We want to listen to what he has to say. We don't want to breed with him. So um, it, was, it was interesting. So luckily, Phil didn't give me an introduction like that. But uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, my name is Christoph, as Philip has already said, and it should be there on the screen. I'm husband to one beautiful wife three beautiful daughters, and at heart, I am a family man. If I could, I would definitely choose a slower-paced lifestyle, but I am where I am by God's calling, and I would love to spend more time with my family, but they are extremely important to me, and I think it's a, um, it's a test of uh, at least a, a man's heart, if he can raise family in the, their ability to follow Christ. I think it says something about him. So that's something that I'm trusting for. I'm still in the thick of things, in the toddler trenches, as I call them. So I can't confirm or deny yet whether my whole family will follow Christ, but it is something that I am passionate about. Um, so tonight I'm going to speak to you about something that's very close to my heart as well, and um, it's a word called discipleship. But because it's a a Christianese word, I call it. It's something we don't really have in our English language, and 
now we are sort of forced to make up our own definition if it's not properly defined for us. Um, and tonight, that's what I'm going to try and do, is I'm going to just try and give some handles to this word so that you can understand it a little bit better, that you can implement it a bit better, um, because it's something that's close to Jesus' heart as well, I believe. So if you just go to the next slide, um, if we look at Jesus' life, he speaks about discipleship um, often, but to instances that comes to mind is the first time that he speaks to his disciples and also the last time. Now, I don't know who of you have ever been um, at somebody's bedside when they're about to pass away, but very seldomly those conversations are about the weather or about their gardening techniques or about their bonsai plant or something like that. It's normally something significant. It's something that's weighty, something that they they really want to emphasize and drive the point over. And we see this in Jesus' life um, when he speaks to, the, to his disciples. So um, before we get into the meat of the message, however, I just want to pray for us. I just want to prepare the ground and um, primarily pray for me as well. So as Philip shared, I'm fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, that I lead quite a large firm. And speaking to people and Leading people isn't something that sort of intimidates me. It's not something that um, is new to me. But every single time I get up and I have to share a spiritual message, be it Bible school, encounter, preaching on a Sunday, there's this excessive nervousness that comes over me. Like, I, I won't say I'm paralyzed because that's not the correct term because clearly I'm alive and well and I can talk to all of you just fine. But... There's this thing in me that's like, this, this is heavy. And this morning when I prepared, I wrestled with God about it. And he took me to a passage in James where James says, not all of you should desire to be teachers because teachers are judged more strictly. And I was like, thanks, Jesus. I don't know what it was supposed to reassure me here, but yeah, it, just, it just didn't reassure me. But the reason why I'm sharing it with you guys is in our walk with Christ, sometimes we have this expectation of Jesus. We have the expectation that He's going to come and He's going to make everything all right. He's going to comfort us to the point where we are happy and satisfied. But that's not the Jesus of the New Testament. That's the Jesus of our making. So when I cry out to Him, I said, God, I'm nervous. He says, you better be nervous, my boy. You're speaking to my people. Speaking to my kids, watch what you say. So that's a Jesus that we follow. That's a Jesus that you're supposed to follow. So uh, I'm standing here tonight with holy fear, and uh, I trust that I'll do my dad proud. Bow your heads, and then I'll pray for us. Oh, Jesus, we acknowledge you in this place. Lord, we come with hunger and expecting hearts. Lord, I pray for every person sitting here tonight, Lord, that you will touch them. Father, above all else, we want to know you more, Lord. We want to love you the best a person can love you, and we want to follow and serve you the best a person can follow and serve you, Lord. That is the cry of our hearts, and I pray that you will equip us to do that tonight. Lord, I pray for my words. I pray for every word that proceeds out of my mouth that is not born of you. I thank you that it will just fall to the ground, and it will die, and it will be no fruit in these people's lives. But I thank you, Jesus. I give you the honor for every word that does come out of my mouth that is born of you. 
I thank you that it will fall on fertile ground and it will bear fruit a hundredfold. And all God's people said, Amen. For those of you that didn't say Amen, just like have your neighbor bump, bump the person who didn't say Amen and say that you were supposed to say Amen because you, uh, you are part of God's, God's people. So who was here last week when Philip spoke? He spoke about saying, yes, Lord. It was a very challenging message for me. And the whole week, I'm, so now I know I need to preach, and it's always tough for me following Philip or Yaku because they're such good preachers. Like, this isn't my day job. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm the impact player. I'm the guy on the bench <laughs> that they call in the last two minutes of the game. Hopefully, I'm the one that scores the winning try in the last two minutes, and I, I can get some credit. I mean, Yaku backs me at least. Um, but it's challenging for me following messages like that because it was a convicting message. Who else was convicted last week? Saying yes and continually saying yes. It's a tall ask, isn't it? Jesus doesn't ask us to do easy things. It's a tall ask. So the question is, how do we, how do, we do that? And I believe I've got a key for us, and it's called discipleship. If we are discipled effectively, it's easier to say yes to Jesus. Again, I remind you, Jesus never promised that it will be easy. To the contrary, he made some other promises that if you're anything like me, those passages we skip over. We get to the thing that says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. And then we turn the next page and we're like, where's that other nice, that nice passage? There's a passage that everybody likes. Philip touched it on touched on it in his prayer. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Huh? Who knows that passage? Probably the most quoted piece of scripture that I've heard in a very long time. It goes like this if you don't know it. For I know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking. God says, my boy, I know the plans I have for you. And this isn't one of those where it's not, the next sentence isn't great. It's, great, it's a great sentence. It says, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. But then we normally stop there, don't we? Huh? we? We quote that part. Who knows what the next verse says, just out of interest. So the pastor rose, uh, lifted his hand. Thanks, thanks, pastor. If you didn't know, yeah, bro, we were in deep trouble. Okay, so luckily Yaku knows what it says, but I'm going to carry on fast. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. That's also still good, huh? God says, if you speak, I'll listen. Like, I'll turn my ear. I'll listen to what you have to say. If you look for me, here's a word that sort of jumps out at me, wholeheartedly. Some, some translations say, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. That's like the yes, Lord sermon, huh? It's not, now, now it's still good news, we'll find him. But there's a catch. Uh, there's strings attached. Are you willing to seek him with all your heart? So I want to tell you a story. Um, I've got three daughters, as I've said. The one is seven, the other one's five, the other one's three, more or less rounded up. And I took the middle one on a daddy-daughter date last week, Saturday. So I try and spend individual time with each of them from time to time just so that we can really connect and get to know each other's heart. And as we're driving... 
We went to go play putt-putt. That was a terrible idea. I should have done something else. She really didn't enjoy it. We did the first two holes, hitting the ball a couple of times, and she looks at me and she's like, Daddy, can't we just go sit and eat a waffle? I'm like, like, and it was one of those courses where there's two 18-hole courses. And I was sort of excited. We're going to play putt-putt. No, like two, two holes. And she's like, no, nah, dude, let's, let, let's do the waffle. So I was like, okay, cool. So we're doing the waffle. But anyway, the, the, the story that I want to tell, we're on our way there. And we're driving. And she looks at me. And she says, Daddy, it's not easy to be a disciple. I'm like, remember, she's five. For those of you that don't have context, it's this old. So now I'm like, what do you mean it's not easy to be a disciple? She's like, yeah, I I find it difficult to be a disciple. So now I'm thinking she's mixing up words here. She's pulling out. And then I'm like, what do you mean, Uncle? Tell me more. And she's like, Daddy, you know what I mean. It's not that easy to follow Jesus. So I was like, wow. Now I'm expecting a deep revelation, huh? Now she's going to preach at me now. I'm, gonna be, I'm like, okay, I'm driving, but I'm focused, and I'm trying to remain calm. And the father heart in me is like excited, like my daughter is grasping something of the kingdom, and she's going to share like a deep revelation. I'm like, really, uncle, what's hard for you? And she says, it's not easy to eat healthy and not to eat sweets. And for a moment, I reacted like you did. I was like, yeah, man, uncle. Surely you have a better revelation than that. And then I, and I just kept quiet. And I looked at her and she said, you know what else is hard for me, Daddy? And I said, no, what's hard for you? She says, it's difficult for me to forgive people who weren't nice to me. It's difficult for me. But I know Jesus wants me to. So I'm going to try. That's what she says. And very often, I found in my walk with Christ, and I think... A lot of us are similar. We neglect the small, simple truths. Yet when Jesus was teaching, he says we must become like little children. Even for me, as a grown man, it's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to eat healthy. I like a double crunch burger. If I'm ever in the hospital and you want to come and visit me, you can bring me a double crunch burger. Like that sort of, you can... In Afrikaans, you say, you, you, can make in a whip fang. you can catch me in a trap with a double crunch burger. Even for me, it's difficult to eat healthy. Even for me, it's difficult to forgive people. But Jesus says, unless you become like one of these children, you won't inherit the kingdom. A couple of years ago, I was reading one of those, those passages where you start reading it and you're like, not today. <laughs> and you flip the next page. Uh, have, you, have you ever had that? Where, where, you, where you read a piece of scripture and you're like, yeah. And you just, you just flip the page. So I was having one of those days. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to read it. And I go back and I read it. And now I'm thinking about this piece of passage. And I'm going over it in my mind. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm complicating the matter. Yeah, but surely that's not what Jesus meant. Like, There's a passage that's very challenging for me that says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. That's a tough passage. So now I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm going over it, and then I'm reading commentary, and then the person said, no man, there was a gate called the eye of the needle, and it was just difficult for camels to go through it. You sort of had to take off some of the stuff. So I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm just making it very complicated in my head, and I 
It's one of the clearest times when I felt God speak to me. He said, Christoph, you know, in Western society, what you guys do is you overcomplicate the gospel to try and make it easier. How's that for a word, huh? So I was like, what do you mean, Jesus? He's like, the gospel is simple, Christoph. It is just difficult. So now because it's so difficult, we make it complicated. Surely that's not what it means. So there has to be a logical explanation, and we think about it, and we discuss it, and we get to a more palatable answer. And we think, yeah, that's what Scripture means. Meanwhile, it just means what it said, and it's just too tough for us. Have you found yourself in that situation? There's a, a passage in the Old Testament where a prophet is... I can't remember if he's seeing a vision or he's actually in heaven and the angel comes and they put a scroll on his tongue and then he goes, hmm, that's nice and sweet. And then the next passage is, but when the scroll, it turns sour in my stomach. Often happens to me when I read the Bible. I read it and I'm like, that's a cool passage. And then I think about it and I'm like, oh, that's the implication. Now it's sour in my stomach. Oh, I have to stop. I have to stop doing that thing. I have to stop looking at those pictures. I have to start dying. I have to start serving. And then I'm like, mm, now it's sour in my stomach. So let's jump to back to why it's important to Jesus. So the first words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples. So he's walking along the, the shore and he's looking at a bunch of people that's fishing. And he shouts at them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He speaks to them. He looks them at the eye, in the eye. And he doesn't say, come and I will teach you a new skill. He doesn't say, come, I will assist you to be better at leading people to me. He looks at them and he speaks into their identity. And he says, I will make you. In other words, we become fishers of men. When we follow Jesus, we become become fishers of men. It's not something we do. It's not an extracurricular activity. My uh, eldest is uh, going to primary school now, and everything is extracurricular. Everything. I'm surprised the classes are included in my school fees. If, if she wants to do anything, it's extracurricular. Fishing for people isn't that. Fishing for people is at the core of who we are. So that's the first words that Jesus says. Let's go to his last words. So context for this statement. It's also a very famous passage. Jesus walked on the earth, discipled his disciples for three years, got crucified for us, rose from the dead, met with them a couple of times. Now this is his final speech. This is the deathbed speech. He's not talking about his bonsai tree. He already spoke to his one friend while he was hanging on the cross. And he's saying, listen, this is my mom. Please take care of my mom. All of that business is done. Now he's, he's driving the final point. And what, is, what does he say? He says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. What a statement, huh? So I start the evening off by saying, don't worry, I'm going to 
simplify this word disciple for you. I'm going to put handles on it, and I'm going to assist you to implement it, and then I read that statement. If anything like me, if I read that, then I'm even more overwhelmed. All the nations, huh? Go into all the nations and baptizing them. It's a big statement, huh? But there's a key in here, something that God showed me a couple of years ago. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He doesn't expect us to teach everything to everybody. He expects us to teach what we have learned to others. Sounds like a small difference, but it's a massive difference. Let me explain that for you. So, there's a couple of things that God has taught me. He's taught me how to honor my wife. He's taught me how to budget. He's taught me how to tithe. He's taught me how to effectively communicate the gospel. It's a couple of things that he's taught me. What I've done is I've made a list of the things that God has taught me. So when I enter a discipleship relationship, I've got an arsenal to pull from. Because in the moment, the moment's big. Somebody wants to learn something, you have to teach them something, and you feel like a deer in the headlights. Like, uh, and then you play Bible roulette. Who's played Bible roulette? You take the Bible and you open it on a random place. And you're like, this is the verse of the day. And you teach that to somebody. But what I want to encourage you to do is make a list of the stuff that God has taught you. Just write them down. If it's one thing, it's one thing. If it's 20 things, it's 20 things. Write them down. You know what that does? It gives you confidence. It gives you the ability with surety to step into a situation and say, God has taught me. Fill in the blank. Let me teach you. Somebody once said, discipleship is just one hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to find bread. We're not the bread. It's very relieving to know that we're not the bread, but we still have to do the showing. There's still a responsibility on our lives. Okay, so let's get into the three F's of discipleship. So that was my introduction. Philip said, evening services are a lot more relaxed. We can go till 10. You guys good with that? Are we good, Yaku? Okay. Even Lorette said yes, and she's got small kids at home as well. But Peter is on duty, ne? Peter is unfanant. Okay. So the three F's of discipleship. It's not a coin. It's not a phrase that I can coin. It's something that uh, you can read up on. There's many different guys who unpack it in different manners. The first time I heard about this term is in a book called Wiki Church. Uh, I think it's Andy Murrell who wrote it, the founding pastor of Every Nation. Um, and the three F's are follow, fish, and fellowship. I believe wholeheartedly if you can do those three pillars, you have a very firm foundation on which discipleship can, let's call it, operate from. It's a lot bigger than that. I can't like for the sake of tonight, remember we just have until 10, so I can't like unpack the whole thing, but we're going to try. Are you guys good? Did you have coffee prior? You're awake? You're ready? I see there's a couple of people. I didn't even make the whole F1 this afternoon. I watched the first two laps and I'm like, now I'm out. And it was an exciting race, so it's not like it was the race's fault. I was just very tired. But I took a three-hour afternoon nap, so now I'm ready. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll finish sooner, I see. Okay, so we'll skip the first two Fs, the follow and the fish, and we'll just do the fellowship. Is that okay? Not. 
We must do all of them. Okay. So I've got a blessing there. We're going to go till 10. Okay, let's jump into the first follow. So this is one of those scriptures that we often go over. I often go over because it's, uh, it's, it's one of those tough ones. Jesus is challenging. If you look at Jesus' life, he's challenging. He says some challenging things. There's a, there's a verse where Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Who of you have read that scripture? You read it now and you think, no man, guys, chill out. He's talking about communion. It's not that bad. Imagine the crowd he was speaking to. They've got zero context. And it's a crowd. It's not even the disciples. A lot of people. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Then scripture says, many people got offended. They turned around and they left. The meek and gentle Jesus that my parents taught me about would have said, wait, 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 misunderstanding. Let me explain. Let me clarify. Jesus doesn't do that. He just leaves them. Then he goes further. He turns around to his 12 disciples, his closest people. He's like, you also want to leave? Hmm? Is that also too tough for you? Then Peter says something, words that I live by. Peter says, Jesus, where else will we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Christoph's translation is, Jesus, that is a tough saying. I don't know if I can understand it. I, know it. I don't know if I can do that. But what I do know, there's no other place for me to go. Nobody else has the words that lead to eternal life. So even if I wanted to leave, I can't. Even if I didn't want to preach tonight, because I'm going to receive a stricter judgment for it, I can't turn away, because He alone has the words of eternal life. And I want you to have that context when you approach this scripture. So there's two lenses that you're looking through this. The lens of Anker's revelation that it's difficult to be a disciple, and the revelation of Peter that there isn't really anywhere else to go. Okay, so read with me. So a large crowd was following with Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple. Let's just pause there quickly. Who here wants to be Jesus' disciple? Okay, luckily most of you rose your hands, so that's good. So now when we read further, né? so Jesus is speaking. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, he's going to give us a couple of stuff, né? What I don't want you to do, I don't want you to think of your aunt or your uncle or your friend at varsity or the, the girl that you like that you're trusting is coming to salvation because she's pretty and the two of you are getting along. Or the, Don't think of them. Think of yourself. You rose your hand. Ne? You wanted to be a disciple. Ne? Okay. So Jesus is speaking to you. If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father and your mother your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Isn't that such a tough word? Huh? And can I tell you what makes it even tougher? The context of this statement is a Middle Eastern crowd that is speaking to probably majority of them Jewish. How does the Jewish family structure look? Family is everything. Family is your work. Family is your identity. Family is your retirement policy. There ain't no retirement annuities in Jesus' day. If you lose your family, you lose your pension. You lose your house. 
That's the crowd that Jesus is speaking to. He's not speaking to a Western society where me, myself, and I, we can make a success of things, bro. Like, yes, I love my mom, but I can do without her. Huh? How's that for a Facebook status? Then he goes further. And he says, and if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Such a short little sentence that I think we'll go over easily. Again, let's go to the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to a crowd that at least on a weekly basis saw somebody coming out of the city with a wooden cross on their back that they were going to be nailed to, to the point of dying on that cross. So Jesus was saying, maybe there was even somebody walking past, and he was pointing at them. He's saying, unless you're willing to go through that for me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. So let's carry on reading. But don't begin until you have counted the cost. For you, uh, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and could not afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Isn't that one of those passages that you would like to skip? And you feel like all warm and excited and sign me up, Jack, I'm in. If you don't, that's fine. <laughs> when I read that, I'm also like, that's a tall ask, but it's the ask. It's the ask. Let's look at who asks us. It's God of the universe who came and he was born in a stable. He got crucified, naked, on a cross, alone, for us. And he's saying, follow me. I just want to be clear, this isn't a doctrinal truth. What do I mean by that? It is not expected of you to hate your family. It is not expected of you to commit suicide or to martyr yourself. It's not an expectation from Jesus that you have to go through that. But it is a question of commitment. It's a question of allegiance. Jesus is asking, am I the single most important thing in your life? And if the answer to that question is no, don't start building. Don't start following. Because it says here, you'll come halfway with the tower and you'll be like, mm, this is too expensive. I don't have enough money to finish it. And then people will laugh at you. But there's grace. 
Jesus won't call you to something that you can't fulfill. Jesus won't set a target that you can't meet. So when he calls you to love him above all else, his Holy Spirit will enable you to do that if you stay close. You have to stay close. So now the question is, how do you stay close? Every single day by saying yes or no to the small things. By walking with Jesus on a daily basis, you stay close to him. So Jesus is asking you to make a commitment to serve and follow him above all else. And that has to be the first gate. It has to be the way through which we enter. Because if we enter by another way, we're not following the real Jesus. Who of you knows that song from Eminem? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up. Sometimes I feel like that. I think to myself, will the real Jesus please stand up? Please stand up. Because I find myself following Jesus of my own making. Hmm? We pray to a God and we worship a God that I find myself saying, Jesus, please bless my work and like, help me succeed. Give me the beautiful girl. Luckily, he did give me the beautiful girl. That was amazing. And nothing wrong with any of those prayers, but when last have you cried for the kingdom? When last have you cried for the people that should be in the seats and that aren't? When last have your heart broken for what breaks his? Jesus uses marriage as an illustration of how our relationship with him should be. And I promise you now, if I don't cry for the stuff that Renee cries for, our relationship is going to suck. I like guns, cars, mountain biking. Those are the things that I like. Renee doesn't like them at all. She's girly. She wants to dress up. She wants to do makeup. And, and she cares about people. I care about things. So we're at odds ends a lot of the mornings. The house is completely, it looks like a tornado went through it. But everybody's dressed to the T and everybody's got proper stuff and the kids are fed and they're happy and they're smiling. And I'm just like, look at the house. And she's like, look at me and the kids. What do you mean look at the house? Now the point I'm trying to make is, it is okay for me to like guns and mountain bikes and all of those things. But if I like them to the expense or to the detriment of Renee, our marriage is going to suck. Maybe not immediately, but after a while. And the problem with a marriage that sucks is by the time you realize it, it is too late. Like, you can fix it. Nothing is impossible. But same with your relationship with Jesus. By the time you realize you've not been following the real Jesus, it's too late. So ask yourself, what is the things that he cares about? Come through this gate, the gate where you are willing to lay down your life, the gate where you prioritize his things above your things. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you say, I don't even know what his things are. Read the New Testament. Be discipled effectively. I'm going to talk a bit at the end of effective discipleship methods. And I'll then encourage you to get in on those streams that I'm going to talk about. But make sure that your heart breaks for what breaks his. Let's get to the second F. 
<clears throat> Otherwise, we really might finish at 10. It was earlier just a joke, but if we continue at this rate. I continue to look at my watch, but if you guys heard the joke, what does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. It means absolutely nothing. It's not like I'm trying to finish at a certain point in time. It's just sort of, I'm just looking at it. So the second F is fish. We need to fish for people. Remember the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, or I will send you out to fish for people, this translation said. It is literally in the core of what we are discipled towards and what we are discipling other people into. We are fishermen. That's what we do. It is the family business. You can have a side gig. That's fine. My side, side gig is I run a business. That's my sideline hustle. But what's my family business? It's fishing for people, baby. That's what we do. That's what this family does. And if you're in this family, you better learn how to fish. Otherwise, when the fishing boat goes out, you're going to be nauseous, you're going to be seasick, or worse yet, you're not even going to get on the boat. And I see that often. We send out fishing boats, mission trips, short outreaches. You get an opportunity to share with your colleague at work. The fishing boat pulls in, and you're not ready because you're not trained in the family business. Family business is fishing. It's what we do. We have to because it's literally part of our identity. It's what Jesus modeled for us. Third F, fellowship. So before we get into the, the passage, I just want to give the context for this passage. So it's found in Luke 22, and it's sort of the climax of Jesus' ministry. So it's before his crucifixion, but he's walked with these guys for 12 years. Who here thinks that Jesus was the best disciple maker that ever lived? Hmm? The son of God himself, perfect, never sinned, three-year intense discipleship course. Huh? He lived with these people. If there was ever a ecosystem, I think is the best word that I have, that will set somebody up for success is that. Perfect disciple maker, no distractions, three-year dedicated course, like it's an incubator for success. Yes? Okay, so that's the backdrop for the story. Now Jesus has a final supper, and he wants to give one final instruction to his disciples before he gets crucified. But let's see how the story starts. It's interesting for me. Then they began to argue amongst themselves. This is the 12 disciples. These are the guys that Jesus spent three years literally pouring his everything into. So what do they do? They have an argument. Not about passing the bread, about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Imagine what Jesus was thinking. Often I think to myself what Jesus thinks. Who of you have ever thought when Jesus speaks so often in scripture and he compares us to sheep who have you ever looked at a sheep and you thought to yourself 
What a gracious, magnificent, marvelous animal. Best, prettiest animal in the kingdom. Have you ever th thought that about a sheep? Who of you have ever thought that that animal that you don't describe like that is the way that Jesus describes us? It's not a compliment, is it? Huh? When Jesus says, for you are the sheep of my pasture. It sounds so nice when we say it, but then when it goes to our stomach, it goes sour like sheep. Of your part, now Jesus, surely I'm better than a sheep. Like, I, I would love to be like a leopard. I know I can't be a lion, he's the lion. That's fine, I'll give him. I, but can I at least be a leopard, not a sheep? There was a time when I spent a lot of time in um, Lesotho, and I farm with sheep, and I'll get up early in the morning, have my quiet time, and then I'll look at the sheep grazing, and I'll look how they walking in the wrong direction. Sometimes they walk into holes that they can't get out of. And then the one morning, I'll never forget it, the sun was just coming up, I was looking at the sheep, and it just dawned on me. I'm compared to these animals. And I was like, what a shocker. What a shocker. And I think here's a good example. Jesus like spent three years. Three years. And they have an argument about who's the greatest. Not even in secret, in front of him. He's sitting at the table. I, I would have at least tried to like make a huddle away from Jesus and, we, and like, like debate it there, but they're debating it in front of him. But then he responds so graciously and, he, and Jesus told him, in this world the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he concludes, he's, he's so gracious. He's tough, but he's so gracious. He concludes and he says, there will be a time where you guys are going to sit on thrones. You stayed with me in my trials. But before we get there, it works differently. The more authority you have, the more power you have, the more you should serve. Who knows who Ben Parker is? Shingi, you're not allowed to answer. And you're not allowed to answer, Pastor, because you was here this morning and you couldn't answer me this morning. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a spiritual question. Who here knows who Ben Parker is? Who knows who Peter Parker is? Yeah, now there's some lights going on. So Ben Parker is Peter Parker's granddad. He's the guy who raised him. And there's this scene in Spider-Man that I absolutely love where his granddad turns to him and he says, Pete, with great power comes great responsibility. Such a biblical statement. With great power comes great responsibility. We've received the, literally the keys of heaven. That's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so now therefore go. He sent us with his authority. How much more responsibility can we have? And it's a responsibility to serve. 
So Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. He's literally got the most power that you can imagine. Think about the most power that what you can in your small little finite mind and then multiply it by a billion and you're still not where he is. There's a place in Psalm where he describes, he drew a line with his finger till where the oceans are allowed to go. When, la- when last have you sat on a rock at the ocean having quiet time with the waves crashing in front of you? When last have you seen a tsunami destroying like an entire village? And then I think to myself, with his finger, he drew a line. And he said to the oceans, up until here and no further. This is the man who washed their feet. This is the man who said, the greatest among you must be the least of all. This is what we get discipled into. We get discipled into this frame of reference where we have to come following Jesus, being willing to pay the price. As we follow him, we have to fish for people. It is the family business. It is what we do. And as we do that and as we fellowship, we have to serve each other. A passage that we chose for our marriage um, to symbolize it is Jesus speaking to his disciples. They, They come to him and they ask him to give us a sign so that people will know that we are your disciples. Now, it's a, it's a funny request to us because we don't understand the context. Who here have watched Chosen, the series? For those of you that haven't raised your hand, it is probably the best thing that you can binge ever. Like, no jokes. It's good for your spirit. It's good for entertainment. It's like, it's a, a series that, as accurately as they can, historically tries to, uh, portray Jesus' life. Now, in Jesus' time, there were many rabbis. He wasn't the first, and he didn't coin the term. He was just one of many. But what the rabbis of the time did is they gave signs to their disciples to distinguish them from other disciples. So some will give you a wooden block to fasten to your forehead. Some will give you like certain color tassels to add to your robe. There's different signs that these rabbis gave to their disciples, but Jesus never gave them anything. Jesus just said, come follow me. I'll make you fishes of men. And he started walking. And eventually the disciples were like, listen, dude, we need something so that people can see that we are your disciples. And then Jesus responds with this powerful statement. He says, by the love that you have for one another, people will know. So the question that I have is, by the love that we show for Pretoria, have for one another. Do you think people know that we are his disciples? And if the answer to that question is no, it's not a condemning question. Cry out to God for more love. Seek his face to see your brothers and sisters the way he sees them, because I promise you, he loved them enough to die on a cross for them. So we must love each other to the point where people can see that we are his disciples. A final story before I move to the next slide. Um, Before we got married, we stayed in a small two-little bedroom apartment, and we had a dining room table with six chairs. So every Thursday we had an event at our place, 
and we hosted 10 people. So that's sort of the story of mine and I's marriage. If, if we can fit two kids, we'll have five. If we can fit six people around the table, we'll put 10. If we can, instead of living alone, we'll have people that live with us. Everything is just, there's always room for more. I feel like a quantum. My, my life is like a quantum. Like, it's never full. We, there's always room for more. I'm glad I'm not the one sitting in the, in the passenger seat that has to manage the money, but the, there's always room for more. So the, the story that I'm telling is we're having one of these functions. There's 10 people. We're sitting around a, a small little table, like arms like this, and we're eating. But our rule was seven out of the 10 Christians, three out of the 10 unbelievers or nominal Christians, depending on how you want to look at it. And we never did something super spiritual on the evenings. We just had fun. Played a board game, watched a movie, whatever. Just had fun. And this one particular night, um, a guy was there with his girlfriend. And he doesn't know anybody from a bar of soap. He knows me because we were in school together. But except for his girlfriend and me, who he's seen pro probably seven years ago. And even then, we just knew each other. We weren't really friends even. So he doesn't really know anybody. Next moment, he starts weeping at the table, like weeping. And I ask him, what's wrong? I think like, yo, you just got a message, somebody died, or like something seriously is wrong. And he just continues weeping, and eventually we get it out of him, but he tells us in front of everybody, he says, yeah, I just want to thank you guys so much. He was 25 at the time. And it's the first time in his life that he sat around a dinner table having a meal with somebody and felt cared for. Soon after that, he committed his life to Christ. And the reason why I'm sharing this is not everything is rocket science. Not everything is the extravagant plan. Philip was telling me earlier there's somebody who wants to book out a field and hold a crusade in Pretoria. That's a bold plan. Like, I'm bold and outspoken and a go-getter, and even for me, that's like, yo, a crusade in Pretoria. Like, are you going to have it in Afrikaans or English or Zulu? Or, or, so, what are we doing and how many people are we inspecting? Who's going to be the speakers? But apparently, he's going to be the speaker as well. So, I'm just like, that's a bold plan. And it's great. I pray for him. And I hope that it's a success. I really do. But for us mere mortals, that's like a pipe dream. Having people over for supper and making sure that the love that we have for one another is a sign that we are His disciples, that's not a pipe dream. Any of you can hold a bride. Any of you can invite people over. So if you can go to the next slide. This is a quote that I like. I normally use it at work, but I think it's applicable to our spiritual lives as well. Measurement is the first step that leads to control and eventually to improvement. If you can't measure something, you can't understand it. If you can't understand it, you can't control it. And if you can't control it, you can't improve it. Shumi, if you and the band can start coming up for me, please. I see my watch says it's almost 10, so uh, we don't have to, to push, push past 10. Say again, Phil. Almost 10 too, yeah, almost 10 too. <clears throat> so while the band is coming up, um, I'm not concluding yet, but I do want to just give you five minutes to reflect 
you can go to the next slide for me, please. I've taken you on a journey through what I think three big pillars of discipleship is. Following Jesus, in other words, the decision to walk after Him on a daily basis, counting the cost and willingly pay it, fishing for people, being involved in the family business, and fellowshipping, making room for other people in your life that are Christians, and loving and serving them to the point where it is assigned to the unsaved world. I've taken you through these three pillars. I want you to take five minutes and actually write it down, either in a book, on your phone, or somewhere. Score yourself out of 10 for each pillar. Just between you and God, I'm not going to ask you to show us. I'm not going to pass the mic around. This is a holy moment between you and Jesus. Just honestly, write yourself. Where are you on these three pillars? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.